0: This is a Seven West media podcast.
1: Hi, welcome to Newsfix, our look behind the headlines. Angela is on assignment for Sunday night, so we have asked Gemma Acton, Seven News finance reporter, to fly to Canberra and join the media pack for the federal budget lockup. Well, it's just gone 6:30, and I'm in a taxi headed for the airport. Just to give you a little background on how the lockup works: in the weeks leading up to the budget, each major news organisation will apply to have a certain amount of its journalists let in. So, over at Seven News, we have 12 journalists who'll be going in. Now, it starts at 1.30pm, finishes at 7.30pm when the treasurer, Joss Frydenberg, makes the announcement to everyone about what is in the budget, so his famous budget night speech. What happens in the lockup itself is, at the door we have to relinquish all ways to communicate with the outside world, so this phone and this microphone will be going into the box, which I'll be able to pick up afterwards. And once we're in there, we are given early access to all of the budget documents. So it's very much like an exam, you're sitting there with an enormous pile of papers and books which Treasury has put together, and we sit there with our colleagues and go through trying to identify what are the most important aspects for our viewers, and our listeners of course. So amongst myself and my colleagues, we will be figuring out who will be covering which parts of our news bulletins. We have a website to cover, we have obviously our various news throughout the evening, the latest our news show, which is on later at night, and of course all the follow-up tomorrow. I'm now here in the airport lounge and allocated myself quite a bit of time here for a couple of reasons. Firstly because It's always good to have a good idea of what other journalists are looking out for and expecting in the budget. So get here nice and early, get access to all of the different newspapers and have a read of all my favourite journalists and ones who hold really different political views and some people who cover business more, some people who cover consumers more to really get an idea of what they're looking out for in the budget and what they're expecting. Secondly, Parliament House is an absolute rabbit warren. If you don't live there and work there regularly, myself, I only make about four or five trips there a year, it can be extremely confusing to get around. Unfortunately, I always have to have one of my colleagues kindly walk me to a cafeteria. So uh, one of the benefits of stopping by the airport lounge is the opportunity to stock up on some food before I head off, a big hearty breakfast. Ensuring we're well-fueled is essential, some of my kind colleague will hopefully be bringing in some um, snacks for us into the lockup because again once you're in the lockup you can't access the outside world and so six hours uh, you're, you're just stuck there with, with whatever you've brought in with you and um, final thing to do before I head off to jump on my plane is to get a caffeine here. I've just arrived in Canberra, beautiful day here, and while I'm in the taxi, winding my way to Parliament House alongside the golf course on the right-hand side, I thought I'd stop and give a bit of background as to actually what the budget is. So this is the opportunity the government has annually to give a snapshot of its revenues and expenditures, so what money it's coming in and what money is going out. Now, a lot of this is obviously based on assumptions. The government tries to predict four years in advance what money will be coming in and out, which is extremely difficult to do. A lot of it is dependent on factors completely beyond its control, for instance, how many taxes will be raised, um, what the price of resources such as iron ore will be. And so it's a lot of guesswork, educated guesswork, but guesswork nonetheless on the part of the government. And that's why we'll see from year to year the estimates in the budget changing dramatically. So. While the government does its best to paint an accurate picture, um, it is subject to a lot of guesswork. Now, what's so important and the reason the government undertakes this exercise is by estimating how much money it will have going forward, it helps it to set policies. So, for instance, if it has a more money coming in than it had anticipated, it gives it more freedom to spend. So, what we're looking out for today is, where will the government spend any additional money that is coming in? With the election only a month away, it's very likely the government will be trying to appeal to voters through measures such as cash handouts or tax cuts. We did see some tax cuts announced a year ago at budget. The big expectation is that these will be increased and brought forward earlier. We're also looking out for other initiatives, such as infrastructure spending. There's been a lot of talk recently about the cities not having sufficient infrastructure to cope with our growing populations. So more to be spent on roads, more to be spent on airports, etc. So looking out for that as well in the budget. Businesses will be looking to see what government will be doing for them. So these are all the, the key items we'll be looking out for later today. So I'm here with my colleague Tim Lester from Channel 7 News as well. Probably not your first budget. How many have you been to now? Give or take 15.
2: Give or take. Um, thinking about this lock-up, uh, I think the lock-up is highly contrived. It's um, uh, it's about. Uh, it's not so much about as the government would sell it to us that it's, uh, it's time for us to consider the detail of the policy and uh, and get around it. I think that's the way they want us to see it. What it actually is is a great opportunity for them to pen uh, pen up all of those who are by and large writing on it. Most but certainly most if not all of those who are writing on it. Make sure they get their message across, spot any any misconceptions or any any rogues and try and correct them. So you know if, if, as, if as a journalist you ask what they consider a bit of a wayward question in the Treasurer's press conference inside they'll come up to you afterwards and pat you on the arm and set you the right way and by the time we get out of there they uh, they feel like they can manage the message pretty well The tell you who's not in there, the Greens Bill Shorten's not in there or any of his team, they're not going to get near us, so really um Really, it's an indoctrination process. Pro- probably journalists like you and me ought to refuse to get in this line, say we're not going, and walk off. But of course, all our competitors would just roll in and beat us to the punch.
3: You
1: make a good point. Who's not in there, but who is in there? Who will be in there today?
2: Well, um, certainly, certainly most, uh, if not all serious writers... Uh, um for for newspapers and online writers and journalists working for broadcasters and so forth who who have a uh, particularly a focus on either economics or politics or both. So they'll they'll all be here. Um, there will also be uh, uh, senior economists in there who follow this closely and uh, um, uh, will be looking to comment on it and understand it. There are but, but what happens in conjunction with these lockups is a series of um of separate lockups for interest groups and others. In other words the government likes to keep them separate from the news media right. for the reasons we've just been discussing. And they'll also be given the same kind of treatment to try and manage things. Now we're we going to duck out of the line here, General, or yeah, do you that want to just? If
1: that's right. And so that's um they're obviously invite only all of these um, separate lock ups, so, well,
2: so yes, they are. And some- some groups get quite, quite uh, finickety about the fact that they get left out um, and there are a lot of arguments over whether that's government prejudice or, or what's at play there. The government would say, no, we've only got so much room, but, you know, suspicions abound.
1: Let me ask you one more question before I let you go so you don't uh, miss any of the special reading time. But uh, this obviously is a budget with higher implications than normal because it's around a month out from the federal election. Yeah. So talk to us a bit about how that changes the importance of this budget, at least for the government.
2: Well... Um, you, you could say at one level it potentially decreases the importance of the budget. The, um, Labor at this stage, not, not a romp home favourite, but a pretty clear favourite to win the election, has already said it'll do its own budget in September, October this year. So it's pulping this budget, essentially, if it, uh, if it gets in. So you could say, well, this is less material than most budgets, but as you allude... In a political sense, it's far more material. This is um, this whether the government wants it or not. Now, because of the timing, is its starting gun for an election campaign. It becomes its its blueprint. Um, uh, budgets uh, uh, wander off into all kinds of areas. Um, Uh, and touch everyone's lives in various ways. We're all in there in some section or another in in things that interest us and matter to us, education for our kids or, you know, health care or whatever it is. Um, So it's critical for the government's pitch for the election. And, And as a lot of people have said, in a way, it's the last big set piece before the campaign's on. The government's been behind, and there have been years... Where budgets—not not, not recently, I don't think—but where budgets have shaken public opinion to some extent or another, they've they've been something that could move opinion polls. This government badly needs something that'll shake an opinion right. poll right now. I don't think there's a high chance this will, but it's a chance, and they're not seeing much else that'll do it. So give it what they've got. This is big stakes. This is politically big stakes, uh, practically. It might, be, uh, it might be recycling in a couple of months.
1: Tim, I'll let you go because this is the point where we're not allowed to bring any technology into the room. And yeah, your just...
2: phone is um, right out there. <laughs>
4: this is money that could go towards the monthly mortgage payment. This is money that could go towards the quarterly energy bill. Lower taxes for 10 million Australians and 3 million small businesses. 80,000 new apprenticeships. A $100 billion national infrastructure plan. Record spending on schools and hospitals. And we have done all of this without increasing taxes. Mr Speaker, tonight we have set the course for an even better and brighter Australia, I commend this Budget to the House.
1: heading yeah. out of the seven Studio now, down to what's known as the Boxes, which is where they used to hand out the press releases in the Boxes. This is where, <laughs> these days, yeah. lobbyists okay. and special interest groups gather around, following the Budget speech. So I'm now joined by Nerida Connorsby, the Chief Economist at realestate.com.au. Hi Nerida, how are you? Hi, thanks for having me. What were you looking out for today? You, know, you work for a company which obviously spends a lot of time focused on the property markets. Um, what were you looking out for today in the budget?
3: Well, immediately I was looking for things that uh, impacted property. So um, this budget was pretty light on. A couple of years ago there was a lot to try and get first-term buyers in, to try and get older people out of big homes, those sorts of things. Uh, this time around it was pretty light on for housing but there was a lot around uh, tax cuts so having a look at how much people could save you know what does that mean for residential property what does it mean for people trying to pay off a mortgage um, and then more broadly what does it mean for spending and, and retail trade and consumer confidence all those things.
1: And so tell us what were your big takeaways you know there, there were quite a few of these tax cut measures etc quite a few things to at a minimum grab Voters' attention and hopefully their votes as well. If you're if you're the government, and um, what were your takeaways of everything that was presented today?
3: Well, it was a very much a voter-friendly. Um, budget, you know, you could tell that um, there was tax cuts that were very generous, they were brought brought forward from where they were previously, so so not just tax cuts for individuals, tax cuts for business, uh, lots of spending on infrastructure.
1: And a lot of focus today on what they called congestion busting measures in cities. Now what do some of these initiatives which are focused around easing up congestion on the roads for example, what would that mean for the property market in cities? Because my understanding is a lot of people are thinking look, Somewhere like Sydney is just getting too expensive, too crowded, too difficult to live here. Will this help?
3: Yeah, look, it will help. I mean, it's a lot of money. I mean, they've quadrupled the the, the level of of funding that they're giving to congestion. And I think this is one of the challenges we face in our capital cities. On one hand, they are places people want to live in. Often people are employed in these capital cities. Uh, There's lots of development occurring, so, you know, lots and lots of new housing. But at the same time, if you're living in these cities, you go from having a half-hour commute to an hour commute, and it's really frustrating. So, you know, it's really aimed to make our cities... Better to live in, and and a lot of and a lot of what the budget was in terms of transport infrastructure was aimed at trying to get us to move around a lot easier, and not cramming us into capital cities so much, but allowing us to live in areas that aren't so congested, and allow us to move more freely than we do currently.
1: All right, I'm um, great to speak to you. Thanks so much.
3: Thanks for having me. Yeah.
1: Treasurer just walked past, followed by a stream of camera crews. So Eva. You're from the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees. What were your takeaways on the budget, particularly as it relates to
0: women and super members? Sure. There wasn't a lot in the budget in relation to superannuation, so we were disappointed about that. We really had hoped that the government would be making some changes that would allow women, and particularly low-income women, to make a better start in their superannuation. The changes that are proposed in in tonight's budget, unfortunately, are targeted at people uh, who have the capacity to make additional contributions, and what they are allowing people to do is to do that in older ages. However, we know from our members, who represent about two-thirds of working Australians, that by the time they get to 65, 66 years old, they don't have any additional money to put into superannuation, so that's not the right fix. We think that the budget measures are too limited in their scope and are not going to help to fix the the retirement savings gap that women have. Tell us a little bit more about that retirement savings gap and uh, what the numbers are showing. So, unfortunately, in 2019, women are still retiring with about half the retirement savings of men. So more, more needs to be done in order to help boost the retirement savings of women. Really, what we need is is a boost for people who are taking time out of the workforce to raise the next generation of taxpayers, um, but while they're out of the workforce, they're actually getting no contributions to their superannuation, and we think that we need to re-look at where the tax concessions go, take some of them away. From the rich who don't need them and give them to, to, to women. Eva, yeah, thank you so much for your time no today. Worries.
4: Only one side of politics can do this
5: because only one side of politics has done this. Hard working Australians will share $300 billion in tax relief.
1: So I'm here, here with Mark, Mark Riley, one of my $1, colleagues from Seven News, a chief political reporter based in Canberra. Mark, this is far from your first
5: budget. My 21st budget today. I've come of age as a budget reporter today, Gemma.
1: And when you um, multiply that by the amount of hours we spend, a lot, <laughs> that's,
5: a, that's a lot of hours. Well, I, you know, I, I don't know why Greenpeace isn't um, campaigning <laughs> to save the journalists you know, from from um, unnecessary detention. That was six hours in there today locked away and we didn't need that six hours because there wasn't that much detail to get across. Now, Not I as thick a budget as, as in previous years.
1: I heard you comment on that saying that the books that we had to read are actually yeah. thinner than in previous budget years.
5: Budget paper two is the one that I go to because it's the one that has most of the individual measures in it, the new measures, new spending measures. So it's where a lot of the interest is and a lot of the news is. Now, it's normally about the size of a house brick. But budget paper two this year was about as thick as you know a Vegemite Sanger. So it didn't quite make the cut in terms of the, you know, the capacity of detail, but very targeted measures. And I think that's the story of this budget. Fewer measures but bigger spending in those individual measures. Mr
4: Speaker, a stronger economy also allows us to invest more in looking after older Australians. Australians deserve to age with dignity and have earned the right to expect the highest standard of aged care services. In some cases, these services have badly let Australians down. That is why we established the Royal Commission into Aged Care. And in this budget, there is a significant investment of $725 million that will deliver 10,000 new home care packages.
1: Now, clearly what the government's trying to do is target the people it wants to vote for it. So yeah. who were a couple of the groups that were specifically targeted today? You know what,
5: I, and I think they've done that um, quite well strategically and it covers so many different cohorts and key cohorts in the electorate. If you think about it, the, uh, the energy supplement goes to pensioners and veterans, and carers, and people on disability support pension. Um, the bulk of the tax cuts uh, in the early years go to people earning between um, $48,000 and $90,000. That's the bulk of the community in there. So. You're talking about four and a half, four and a half million taxpayers in there, and then it's expanded out to the rest of the community. There's big money in infrastructure, and that is the bugbear of everybody living in our major cities—that the, you know, that, that that intense frustration of the daily commute. If they can break that open and free up the major thoroughfares, they're going to have a you know a lot of people made happy. But it's, at the moment, it's just a promise. So when you put the totality of those individual cohorts in the electorate they're hitting almost every target
1: Some good news for healthcare as well
5: Fantastic stuff in healthcare and you know and that's won't get the notice of the the, the sort of eye-catching numbers the $300 billion of total tax relief, the $100 billion in infrastructure, the $45 billion cumulative budget surpluses but the half a billion dollars in health going towards um, cancer research fantastic stuff Um, the half a billion dollars in health going towards um, services for youth to uh, suicide prevention Mental mental health health support
4: is an issue of deep concern to all Australians. It's a national tragedy that we lose so many people to suicide and that so many people live a life of quiet desperation. Tonight I say we we hear you and we are with you. This issue demands our ongoing attention and resources. We must work together to combat youth suicide
5: as a national priority. Really good stuff of government, um, covering a new cancer drug for leukaemia, uh, another one going on the PBS, and this government has a really, really good record of uh, listing essential drugs and life-changing and life-saving
4: drugs. And in this budget, we also list more medicines on the PBS yeah, yeah. to treat kidney, bladder, liver and skin cancer. Yeah. And tonight, Mr Speaker, we announced the listing of Besponza, a medicine for people with acute leukaemia. Instead of costing $120,000 a course, patients will now have access to the medicine at a cost of only $6.50 per script for concession card holders and $40 for general patients.
0: Now, this brings lots the total of winners say by news. the sounds of
1: things, but there are always people who walk away disappointed. Who do you think might be walking away tonight very disappointed?
5: Not too many, but I can see that people in the disability sector, even though people on the support pension will be getting that energy uh, supplement, um, there w- will be disappointment that the NDIS is underfunded And and that's a surprise to a lot of people because there are a few issues in politics that naturally gather almost unanimous support. And the NDIS was one of those because everybody thinks that if we're not as a society helping those people who are most vulnerable and those people who are most marginalised and can't help themselves, then what are we doing? So I think that will play out over the next few days and we'll see the truth of the matter there. So disappointment, I reckon we'll hear it from the disability sector. Um, yeah you can't please all of the people all the time they've had a crack at it here but you can't and some of the some of the measures are modest I'd say modest economically ambitious politically mm-hmm. is probably the headline for this budget hi
1: there thank you okay let's go let's go so I just got into my taxi heading back to the accommodation for tonight and that's a wrap for today i'll be sitting down next week with experts to better understand how this budget affects you for a new podcast called the purse for now thanks for listening to news fix i'm Gemma acton good night News Fix is produced by Seven West Media. Supervising producer is John Buck. Our executive producer is Nikki Hamilton. And the Director of News and Public Affairs is Craig McPherson.